the Dynasty Bulls Podcast. Nick hails with a resident cleanser, and Josh with Johnson. Here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build a foundation. This is the Dynasty Bulls, presented by the Dynasty Football Women. Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse podcast. Um, apparently, the rest of my music clips don't want to work today, but I am Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick Hale to the Redskins later. Nick, what is that, my friend? Oh, not much, Josh. You know, I'm not normally one to toot my own horn, but I do want to point out the fact that I was calling Chris Carter an idiot before it was cool to call Chris Carter an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing today, Josh? Uh, yeah, I mean... Last week I called uh, your your awesome segment, Nick Rance, the sometimes controversial. But I almost feel like we should rename it the whole thing to Shots Fired. I mean, in the past couple of weeks you called out Chris Carter. I mean, you could do it again. I mean, obviously we don't even need to at this point. And uh, you called out Emmett Smith as well. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, always, always good stuff there, Nick. Um, we have a great show for you today. We have Chris Ransom from Draft Utopia stopping by. Uh, Chris is an absolute madman. They have tons of content from minor leagues to major league and all sports over there at Draft Utopia, and he is the ringmaster. I think he writes most of the stuff, too. I mean, he, he's just crazy. I don't know if he ever sleeps. I really don't. And uh, But he's going to stop by in just a second uh, as we talk about some busts for the year. We'll get to some injury news. Uh, Burgundy's going to stop by to talk about a couple trades that he did on a crazy Sunday. Uh, Nick's got a dynasty depth charger for us. We're going to talk the best to wear number 25 in NFL history. Uh, monumental dynasty dilemma as we pit Alfred Morris versus Latavius Murray. Uh, and then Nick's going to rant um, about a certain offensive set. You want to check out for that, and we'll get to some dynasty trade analysis as well. All right, I will patch Chris through here. Chris, are you there? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, we can hear you. We can hear you just fine. Can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you guys fine as well. I don't need to push one. Sometimes when you call into Blog Talk Radio, it makes you push one to speak with the host, but I didn't need to push any buttons. I'm on the line. You can hear me. I can hear you. Everything's perfect. The synergy's here. Let's talk some football. Uh, did I tell you guys this guy never sleeps? Does that sound like a voice of a guy that ever slept in his life? No, he's re- he's rearing and he's ready to go. So you were, uh, you've been on the podcast before, but it's one we were back at Roto Rob. So why don't you just tell the uh, the DFW community about uh, what you guys do over there at Draft Utopia? Well, at Draft Utopia, we cover a variety of sports. We cover Russian hockey, fantasy football, minor league baseball. You name it, we probably cover it, and we just. We like to connect our fans on different sports topics to make sure everyone knows what's going on in the world of sports around the world. 
Okay. We made a lot of changes since last year, too. You've kept up, and we'd like to thank you for that. Yeah, no problem. No problem. We uh, got, I feel like it's, I think it's been a year since you've been on the podcast. It's been way too long. So we, we thank you for coming back. So, um, but we got uh, some busts to talk about today. So I think we each came with five. So why don't we just go around the room? You give us, you give us one of yours, Chris, and then we'll, we'll talk about it here. What do you got for us? Who's your first one? I actually came up with five at each position except the kicker. So my busted quarterback is going to be Cam Newton. And the reason I say that is Cam Newton's passing yards and rushing touchdowns have decreased in each of his first four seasons, and now he's not going to have Kelvin Benjamin to throw to on top of that. I just think this is a bad year for Cam Newton. I mean, he really hasn't been the same in terms of pass protection since Jordan Gross left the team a few years ago. They never replaced him. But we'll see what Devin Funches can do with this team. I still think Greg Olson's going to be a keeper in fantasy leagues, but I feel like Cam Newton is a guy that's a huge bust because the passing yards, he had 4,051 as a rookie, went down to 3,869 his second year, 3,379 his third year, and he only had 3,127 passing yards in 2014. And... His rushing touchdowns have decreased as well. 14 rushing TDs as a rookie, then 8, then 6, then only 5 last year. So, Plus, he also had a career-high 5 fumbles lost. So, yeah, Newton's numbers just get worse each year because he gets fewer and fewer rushing touchdowns and fewer passing yards per season. So I think Cam Newton would be my fantasy bust because I know a lot of people are saying he's a top-five quarterback in fantasy leagues this year. So I'm going to say Cam Newton is my fantasy bust at the quarterback position. Uh, yeah, I feel like a lot of people have him probably number four, actually, behind uh, Russell, Luck, and uh, Rodgers. So, uh, yeah, that's that's a good point there. I, I think Nick is a little bit more of a, a fan than me. What do, what, do you, what do you think about that, Nick? Well, I was a lot more of a fan of Cam Newton when Kelvin Benjamin was uh, healthy and ready to go. Now Benjamin's hurt, and Devin Sanchez is going to be probably his top target. I am uh, a lot more hesitant on him. Still love him in dynasty formats, but as far as redraft this year, yeah, he's probably going to struggle this year. Okay. Nick, did you ha- – I actually didn't have any quarterbacks on my list. Nick, did you have any quarterbacks in your I did have one. Uh, the quarterback is ranked as high as three in some redraft leagues, Drew Brees. You know, maybe I'm just a little bitter about last year. I made a midseason trade for him. He was going to put me over the top. And then in championship week, he threw two interceptions and only one touchdown. But to me, he just looked old last year. He only had six touchdowns over the last four games. That's to go with six interceptions over that span. Uh, six times last year, he only threw one touchdown. And he lost his top two targets in uh, Kenny Stills and Jimmy Graham. His yards and touchdowns were the lowest last year since uh, 2000. I'm just I'm not confident in Drew Brees having a big year as old as he was. Okay, uh, Chris, any thoughts there on Brees? I actually think Drew Brees could have a comeback year. I, I mean, when I did my season previews, I I picked the Saints to get home field in the NFC, and I think I had them finishing at 13 and three. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say Drew Brees is a comeback year, and the last few years. His offense was very predictable. You knew Jimmy Graham was going to be the number one target. You don't know who's going to be his number one target. There's going to be more variety in the running game with Spiller and Ingram, and I think that variety is going to make it tougher to stop the Saints on offense, and I think that will allow him to 
make some big plays. When the Saints won Super Bowl 44, the one thing they'd had on offense, they didn't really have a true number one playmaker, but they had a lot of variety at the key positions with Colston, Devery Henderson, David Thomas. The Saints had variety at those positions, and that allowed the offense to remain unpredictable. So I think that variety will help New Orleans this season. Yeah, very good points. And I think um, Spiller Spiller added to the mix, pending he can stay healthy, could certainly yeah keep that uh, keep that even more of a variety there. Who are, who are the other quarterbacks you had? And maybe just a couple sentences on those guys there, Chris. Well, some of the other quarterbacks, I know some people are taking Tom Brady as early as the seventh round, which is pretty good value. I mean. Some people take him in the third to fifth round range because there have just been a lot of reaches. I know one fantasy owner in our keeper league, he took Peyton Manning with a first round pick at sixth overall. I kid you not. That's probably because we used our keepers on Aaron Rodgers and Andrew Luck, but they took Peyton Manning in the first round, and then they took Jameis Winston as his backup in the final round. That is very gutsy stuff. Okay. So who are, who are the other who are the other quarterbacks you had there? Did you have any other quarterbacks? No, I didn't have any other quarterbacks. I came up with one bust at each position. Okay, okay, cool, cool. I just misunderstood you. Really. Some I guys like Jay Cutler might get drafted in the late rounds. Colin Kaepernick, don't draft him. I took Derek Carr as a backup to Andrew Luck over Colin Kaepernick, and Kaepernick was one of the candidates left along with Cutler. But I'm uncomfortable with Cutler or Kaepernick, so. I figured I'm going to take a flyer on Derek Carr as Lux backup, and we'll see how it goes. So, um, since you since you went there, what if you had to choose between Cutler or Kaepernick? Who, I'd probably go with Kaepernick. Kaepernick. Yeah, yeah. I think Nick would probably go that route too. So, am I right, Nick? Uh, yeah, uh, mostly due to the fact that I would worry about Cutler keeping his job, whereas I think Kaepernick's got a safer, more job security there in San Francisco. Oh yes, the Blaine Gabber factor. Um, all right, well I got a running back here, so let's uh, let's get the let's get to the runners here. I got a few running backs actually, just a couple. Uh, Justin Forsett. Uh seems to seems too easy to think that he'll he'll just he a guy who's never really caught on with a team is just going to jump into a new system and just straight up ball. I I think I would rather have C.J. Anderson, Latavius Murray, Alfred Morris. Those are all the same type of guys that are going. Anderson's maybe going a little bit earlier in Forsett right now, ADP-wise. But, you know, no disrespect to Forsett. I think his story is awesome, and what he did last year was certainly fun to watch. But there has to be some reasons that he's really never caught on, and I think that's surely going to be exposed uh, this year. What do you you think there, Chris? I actually drafted Justin Forsett because I figured he's going to have another season just like last year. And I think C.J. Spiller is one of these guys that are getting gets getting overdrafted in a lot of leagues, along with DeMarco Murray, who I thought was the second of my five uh, busts at the key positions. So I think C.J. Anderson and DeMarco Murray are obviously the two biggest reaches in fantasy leagues. And I'm, I think that Forsett is actually kind of a steal. If you can get him in the third or fourth round, that that's a pretty good value pick, but if you take him in the top twelve, then clearly that's a reach. 
Yeah, I, I I can maybe see late third, mid fourth, but I I just I got some real real questions about him. What do you think about fourth set there, Nick? Yeah, I think fourth is probably about right for him. I wouldn't go higher than that. I I personally don't trust him to have a repeat season just because I think that uh, backfield's a little crowded there uh, in Baltimore right now. But yeah, I I couldn't go higher than the fourth. Okay. Uh, what you said, Chris, you, that you had DeMarco Murray on your list. What do you got for us on DeMarco? I think DeMarco Murray, he's not going to have the same offensive line he had in Dallas. They got rid of Evan Mathis, and they got rid of um, Todd Harriman's. They're two starting guards. I don't think he's going to have very much space to run through, and I think that's definitely going to work against him. Plus, you also have to consider the fact that he's splitting carries with Ryan Matthews. He is the starter. He's going to get a majority of the carries, but Matthews is going to get quite a bit of carries as well. So I think DeMarco Murray is not a guy you should draft. He fell to 19th in our league. So it was 18th, one pick before Jimmy Graham, but he fell pretty far. Yeah, yeah, I I agree there. He's not certainly first-round material, and I think if you're taking him this year and expecting Expecting what he did last year, you're just you're just not going to get there. I do, however, feel like he's going to remain healthy now that they have uh, you know some actual backups to uh, to help him out there with with the game plan. There, what do you think, there, Nick? Yeah, I think one thing to keep in mind with Murray is that uh, so many people have him tagged as a bust right now that he might fall, like Chris said, he fell to 19 in his draft. Uh, you know, if he falls farther than that, he could actually see him as getting pretty good value. Don't expect him to get the 1,800 yards again. That's just ridiculous. But, you know, I could see him getting, you know, 1,100, 1,200 yards. So if you're getting that in somewhere in the 20s, then, yeah, I think that's pretty decent value. Uh, do you have any running backs there, Nick? Uh, I do. To me, uh, Matt Forte scares me. You know, 29 years old, he was under four yards per carry last year. His fantasy numbers got salvaged by the fact that he had 100 catches, but that's not going to happen again now that Mark Tressman's gone. Uh, Brandon Marshall's no longer there to attract attention. you got uh, Jeremy Langford and Kadeem Carey now behind him itching for playing time. I, I could see this being the year that Matt Forte hits the wall. I agree with you. You mentioned Carey and you mentioned Jeremy Langford. I think Langford could realistically end up starting on this team as early as next season because he, he just seemed that good. I wasn't that impressed with Kadeem Carey, but he did have some strong seasons at Arizona before the Bears drafted him. So I do think one of those running backs, or possibly both of them, could split carries as early as next season. And a lot of the 2015 guys, Grasso, um, Eddie Goldman, Kevin White, those guys will all be starting next season. Langford could possibly be starting, and then you'll have a new quarterback on top of that. So the offense should have a completely different dynamic. And there's no cap penalty if the Bears release Cutler before 2016, like after this season. If they release him in 2017 or beyond, there will be a cap penalty. But if they get rid of him after this season, there is no cap penalty in his uh, salary cap contract, new contract. Yeah, they certainly have a decision to make. I feel like I feel like they they would probably cut Cutler there. That's 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 a good point, but you know you, you can't really rely on Jimmy Clausen either. So, but uh, as far or as David Sales, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, as far as Sporte goes, excuse me, I just I don't know. I I feel like because he could potentially this could be his last year there too. I feel like they might just see what they get out of him. So I feel like the opportunity is going to be there. Uh, but, uh, like Chris said, they did bring in Langford, even though Fox doesn't like playing, uh, 
playing rookies a whole lot, but uh, I don't know. I just, I, I, I will see what happens as it unfolds. Uh, I, I have Forte. I'm counting on Forte big in one of my leagues, so maybe I'm just not ready to ready to jump on ship there with you guys. Um, I I had another running back here too on my list, and it's Joseph Randall. Um, you know, we talked about Forsyth being okay in the third or fourth. I've seen Randall go in the the late third, early fourth too, and I I just don't get it. I just I I know he's flashed some things last year. He has a couple big yards, but I mean, even if he stays out of prison, I just don't see. I don't. I don't see him being able to carry the load, especially when, you know, I know McFadden's an injury risk too, but he's there. I still believe in Lance Dunbar as well. And I, I just, I don't see Randall being a guy that's going to come in there and even get 200 carries for this team. Any thoughts there, Chris? Yeah, I agree with you. And I think the most fascinating thing that happened in our league is that teams reached for Tevin Coleman and uh, Joseph Randall, taking those guys as early as the fifth to seventh rounds. And with, um, it's not a huge reach, but it still feels like a reach. Devonta Freeman, I got him in like the 10th or the 12th round, and then Darren McFadden fell to like the 13th or the 14th round of our league. So to get McFadden in round 13 or 14, or Devonta Freeman in round 10 or later is just, that's just incredible value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Uh, I feel like, I kind of feel like McFadden could be in a year for like uh, that last year. No Sean had in Denver, you know, he went in the, in the league, one of my redraft leagues, I think he went like the last round because Monte ball was a rookie and he was going to be the man. And uh, Marino just had one of the best years of fantasy running back has had in a long time in terms of receiving and, and rushing. And uh, a lot of people, he made a lot of people very happy who took a chance on him uh, late. So uh, what are your thoughts there on Joseph Randall, Nick? Yeah, uh, fifth round, that would be way too high for me. His career high is under 350 yards, and that was what he had last year. Uh, The potential is there, of course, because that offensive line is so good in Dallas. But, yeah, I I just don't trust any of these Cowboys running backs. And and given the value, I would definitely take uh, Darren McFadden late compared to Randall early. And you can get Lance Dunbar even later. I remember remember that I said that when Lance Dunbar is, is lead this team into rushing and they're in the playoffs. Remember remember I said that guy. Uh uh any more any more running backs? Nick, you got any more running backs? Uh no, I do not. Well Lance okay, Dunbar Chris, did go undrafted in our league, so I might keep that between us if Forsett underperforms yeah. or one of my other running backs <laughs> doesn't do well. Yep, unless you're in a deep dynasty, I, I I can almost guarantee you he's he's available. So now keep just keep that in mind. Um, Chris, why don't you get us started with wide receivers? Well, my biggest reach at wide receiver has to be Calvin Johnson. I know there were teams in our fantasy league that used keepers on him, but he missed a lot of time last year. And there's other guys in this league that showed they can be productive. Antonio Bryant is productive. I mean, Demarius Thomas, Des Bryant, those guys all showed up. They brought their A game and you saw things from them on a consistent basis where those guys delivered. Julio Jones, who looks phenomenal this preseason, he's another guy. And the funny thing is, Le'Veon Bell fell to fifth in our league and Antonio Brown and Julio Jones both went ahead of Le'Veon Bell. So I got Bell at five, but I kind of flirted with taking Marshawn Lynch because I wasn't sure how that would go, but I went with Bell in the end. So, I mean, 
these receivers, there are good receivers in this year's draft. So Thomas, Des Bryant, we, t- we covered a few. I got A.J. Green at one point, but he, he's, he's had trouble connecting with Dalton at times, and sometimes he'll make a bad play that results in an interception. And John Gruden mentioned how they had like 27 turnovers in four years or some stat on a Monday Night Football a few days ago. So A.J. Green, I still like the pick, but I'm not at the point where I loved the, the pick. I like I liked the value, but I, I don't know why, but I feel like, A.J. Green might get overdrafted. You want to get A.J. Green in the second round rather than the first because of how he's made some of those catches. Yep, and he's had some lower body stuff, too. That concerns me. Um, I, and I, I, I feel you on Kelvin Johnson. It seems inconceivable that you could get him in, like, at, at like, a third-round pick. But, uh, I, you know, I feel like he's going, like, mid-second right now. And I still think that's maybe a little bit high just because he's been dinged up, too. And any thoughts there, Nick? Yeah, I think mid-second is way too high for Calvin Johnson. The guy didn't even have 1,100 yards last year. You got the injury concerns. And all those guys that Chris mentioned, Antonio Brown, Des Bryant, uh, Julio Jones, Demarius Thomas, all those guys put up bigger numbers than Calvin Johnson did last year. So, yeah, I think you know if you're getting him at the end of the third, yeah, great. But in the second, that's way too high. Uh, do you have any receivers there, Nick? Uh, I do. You know, many expect big things from the 34-year-old Andre Johnson now that he's in Indianapolis, but I'm not one of them. He had under a 1,000 yards last year and only three touchdowns. Yeah, he had bad quarterbacks, but that didn't stop his teammate DeAndre Hopkins from getting 1,200 yards and six scores. Uh, You know, playing with Andrew Luck didn't stop Father Time from catching up to Reggie Wayne. At around the same age, Wayne went from 1,300 yards in 2012 to only 1,200 yards the last two years combined. And with just with so many talented pass catchers in Indianapolis, I think that the 900 yards Johnson had last year should probably be viewed as his ceiling, not his floor. Okay. Um, I I just I feel like they're going to feed him the ball. I feel like it starts there. I I I, I mean I wouldn't be surprised if what Nick is saying certainly comes true. But I I I don't know. I feel like. They're gonna go balls out. This is this is their year. They brought both of these veterans in, and they're and they're just gonna go for it. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I think there are gonna be some players that just have some good value with some of these picks, and we'll see what's gonna happen. Cause I know someone got T. Y. Montgomery in the thirteenth round after the um, Jordy Nelson injury, and Nelson was one of those guys that fell a bit. Deshaun Jackson fell to 54th overall in our league. I'm just trying to see where some of the good value picks were. Michael Floyd was taken a little bit too early. Larry Fitzgerald and John Brown are two guys to keep an eye on because Michael Floyd did dislocate his fingers, and if you're looking for a late-round guy, maybe you take one of those players in the Cardinals because they have a really good offense. Okay. Uh, well, I got Alan Rupp. I got Allen Robinson. Um, I just feel like until he plays all 16, I'm just going to maintain that that slight frame is just not built for the NFL. I know he had some flashes last year uh, and was very productive when he was in there. I just feel like he's going to, you know, you never wish injury on somebody. And uh, it's really, it's a really hard thing to predict, but I just feel like he's not, you know, unless they have him maybe, you know, 
constantly on the outside where he's not, you know, absorbing big blows from strong safeties or, or, or weak side linebackers or whatnot. But I just, I just don't think that he's going to be able to hold up. I feel like he's one of those players that's just going to be more of a, more of a myth than an actual stud week in and week out. So what do you think, Chris? Yep. I think you're right on that point. There's just a lot of people super excited about him. And there were some people excited about him last year too. And I just, I don't know. I, I, we're just, I know we read and we, we we know our buddies' opinions and we get so much information about certain players and I just I just am not ready to ready to go there with uh, a Rob. What do you think, Nick? Uh, I'm on the. I mean, I don't think he's going to have like 1,200 yards this year or anything like that. But I think he could be in line for a decent season. He's definitely the Jaguars. If I had to take a Jaguars receiver, he would be the one I would take. Do you, would you agree with that? Um. Yeah, but. Not in the, you know, I've seen him go as high as the, the fifth round. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that by any means. So. Uh, Nick, did you have any more receivers? I did. I did have one more. Uh, you know, the last three guys that I mentioned, they're kind of older, but here's a youngster. You know, we did. Do you remember when uh, Doug Martin had like two big games as a rookie and the hype was through the roof headed into year two? Uh, Mike Evans, I think, could be in a similar situation. He had, you know, only three big weeks last year. Now he's penciled in as a top ten wide receiver. I just think with a rookie quarterback and the tight end, Austin Sperry and Jenkins is more developed and probably could be ready to take some red red zone targets away from him. I just don't see him getting the 12 touchdowns again like he had last year. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you there uh, to a point. I'm not, like you said, he's. I don't think he's top ten. I'm not ready and that depends on you know kind of how your draft goes too i'm gonna say i'm not ready to take him as my wide receiver one but i i'd feel comfortable with the wide receiver two i just feel like there's there's safer options to do in like the late first i'm gonna go alshon jeffrey or deandre hopkins who is a player most of those guys i see evans drafted in front of all the time and a lot of mocks i've been doing them just like really in front of deandre hopkins uh i just don't get it what do you think there chris you think Alshon Jeffrey is a reach. DeAndre Hopkins fell to the fourth round in our league, which I feel like is an absolute crime that he slipped that far. He should have been in the yeah. first three rounds. Oh yeah. I mean if you're getting him in the if you're getting him in the late second, you are you should be locked up because that's insane. Yeah. I I I, oh, I I just don't get it. I, I know their quarterback situation is not is not ideal, but he's he's a player, man. He is a player. Uh, Chris, what do you got for us for tight ends? Well, the tight end position, I think the biggest reach has to be uh, somebody took Richard Rodgers of the Green Bay Packers at 30th overall, but that's that's because that owner is a Packers fan. Like they took all Packer <laughs> players. They used the keeper on Aaron Rodgers in the first round, and then they uh, took Jordy Nelson with the next pick, which wah, wah, didn't go well. And then they used yeah. uh, Richard Rodgers with the next pick. So we'll see what happens. But I I, I don't think anybody else is going to take Richard Rodgers in the top 30. So I'm not going to mention Richard Rodgers being a reach because I know everyone else is that sane when it comes to uh, making picks. So I guess you could say Richard Rodgers is a reach if he doesn't beat out Quarles for the job, but I think Quarles went down with an injury. But the Martellus Bennett of the Chicago Bears, I feel like he is a huge reach. I don't believe he's a top five tight end 
Every tight end fantasy rankings sheet I've seen has Gronkowski at one, Graham at two, Greg Olson at three, which I agree with, Kels at four, and then number five is Martellus Bennett. And I feel like Martellus Bennett is a huge reach. He fell to the seventh round, which is kind of good value, but I just I thought that was a terrible pick at the time. And Julius Thomas fell to 75. I got Jason Witten at 84, but in the ninth round, I got Witten in the ninth round, which I feel guilty of. I, I, and Owen Daniels fell to the ninth round as well. So I feel like getting guys like Owen Daniels or Jason Witten or even Julius Thomas in the ninth round is much better value than getting a guy like uh, Martellus Bennett in the sixth to seventh round. Uh, well, I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy to, to rag on Martellus Bennett. I, I actually think he is the, he is the number five, and I, 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 I feel weird when people taking like Zach Ertz in front of him, and 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 I just think he presents a good value. I'm not going to take him like in the first seven rounds, but if he's hanging around like around eight or nine, you bet, you bet, I'm snatching that up because I just especially with Kevin White out, they're going to need him up the middle, and I think he's going to do some good things. What do you think there, Nick? Yeah, I, I like uh, Martellus Bennett. You know, he had over 900 yards and six six scores last year, so I definitely see him as a solid number five tight end there. If, if he slips in your draft, good, yeah, you can get good value. Uh, and do you have any tight ends, Nick? Uh, yeah, one guy I'm not really high on is Jordan Cameron. Uh, you know, you throw out his big year in 2013 and the other three years in the NFL, he's got under 500 yards and never had uh, three touchdowns. So I just think he's going too high. People look at that one year and think he's going to repeat that. But with the concussion history, I I, I don't trust him. Uh, one of the funniest things ever said on this podcast was uh, by our mutual friend, Chris uh, Robert, Robert Cobb. Uh, he said uh, – in reference to uh, Jordan Cameron, he is uh, Miami's headache now. And then he said, pun intended. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I agree with him wholeheartedly there. That's, uh, I, yeah, I just, uh, that's why Bill Service said a couple weeks ago he should own Deion Sims because he's a, he's a nice sleeper there. So, yeah, I, what do you think about Jordan Cameron? Well, I think Jordan Cameron, if you get him in the final two rounds of your draft, whether it's 15 or 16, I think that's smart. But anywhere before that point, it just feels like a reach. Someone got him in round 14 in our league. so And then they got uh, Kyle Rudolph fell to 126, which that kind of feels like a bargain at that spot. But I just, for some reason, I don't trust Jordan Cameron with his injuries. And I don't know how he's going to fare with Ryan Tannehill. He should do better in Miami, but for some reason, he's one of those players that I've filtered out from my pool of guys I'd want to draft because of his injury history. Yep, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's fun to it's fun to go uh, to go a little risky, but you just, especially like you said, and I've seen him actually go in, Mar- in front of Martellus Bennett. I've been doing mocks since February, and I've seen him going in front of guys like that. You know, it's like the you know the fifth or fifth to eighth tight end off the board, and I I I don't get that. I mean, I understand there there is an upside there, but that that's just too much of a risk for me. Um, Nick, did you have a tight end? Uh, Cameron oh, yeah, was I'm my sorry. tight end. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. It's your tight end. That's all. I uh, Chris, did you have a defense for us? 
Yeah, I think the biggest reach has to be the Seahawks defense. I still think they do have one of the best defenses, if not the best defense in fantasy leagues. But my pet peeve is the fact that people reach for this defense. In our league, the Seahawks defense went in the eighth round, I believe. I'm just double-checking here because I've got the Google Docs document opened. And I believe the Seahawks defense went, oh, 83rd overall in the ninth round. And... I've seen, I've heard that the Seahawks defense has gone as early as 51st overall, ahead of certain receivers. So that's absolutely insane to take a defense that early at 51 or 83. I took the Texans defense at 89 because I felt like I think they had the best defense in the NFL. And with J.J. Watt, with Will Fork, with that defensive line, secondary that's in place there with Jonathan Joseph and Kareem Jackson, that, that secondary gets underlooked quite a bit. So I took the Texans' defense at that spot at 89. And it might work, it might not work, but Clowney's there. We'll see what the Texans' defense does. But I also got the Chiefs' defense in the final round of the draft. And teams... You should probably wait until the 10th round to take a defense. But I decided to take a risk on the Texans because I really like their defense. But the Seahawks at 83 or 51, that's just absolutely, that's a huge reach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I agree there. Like I said in the weeks past, they've lost just too much personnel over the last couple of years. And I I think – I think they're going to be, yeah, they're going to be certainly exposed because of that. Um, what do you, what do you think there about the Seahawks defense, Nick? Yeah, I think anytime you reach for any defense period, that's a bad move. And it's, it's just better to wait till, till later on in the draft. It's so tough to predict team defenses in general. So yeah, I definitely, I usually wait until the last couple of rounds to take defense. I, mean, I got the Chiefs it. defense in round 16. I got the Texans in nine, and the Chiefs in round 16 is a backup to the Texans. And the Chiefs defense looked pretty good against Seattle a few nights ago. Yeah, then they got some players on that D. That's 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 for sure. And you know, when you have a man in the middle like Dontario Poe, that's that's just going to open everything else up. Uh, he's got to be Justin Houston's best friend. I don't know how he's not. Um, I reached for a defense one time. And I think it was maybe like a seventh round. I took the Chicago defense. It was a few years back, and they ended up scoring like 12 or 15 touchdowns or something like that here. So it worked, but I'm, just, I'm not going to do it ever again. I realized I, realized I got extremely lucky with that pick. So, Nick, uh, Nick did you have any more Buster? Uh, yeah, I went with an IDP guy. I read it recently it takes 49ers linebacker Navarro Bowman two hours before a game to get his knee ready to play. So I would just be very nervous about another injury. And even if he doesn't get hurt again, is he going to be the same player after missing all of last year? I know the potential is there for production, what with uh, Patrick Willis and uh, Chris Borland's retirements, but I just don't trust that injury at all. Okay. Any Any thoughts there on Bowman there, Chris? Yeah, I don't trust the 49ers at all. Their coach said something like uh, that they want to be more lax and carefree with the players. And I feel like doing that takes away the edge some of the guys had, like that motivation factor, that edge to just perform at a high level on Sundays. And I don't know if the 49ers are going to have that this year. They lost a lot of talented inside linebacker. They released Alden Smith, so... They don't have an outside linebacker. This team's ignored cornerback in the draft for the past three years in a row, and now they're going to have to ignore it again because they don't have an offensive tackle next to Joe Staley. 
They have to give Staley like a eleven million, an eight six million dollar option, and then an eight million dollar option for two thousand seventeen or two thousand eighteen this year and in two thousand sixteen. Like they have to decide if they want to give Joe Staley those options at left tackle now or whether to release him after that year. So they have to decide that now. So the 49ers are having issues on the offensive line. They're having issues at pass rusher, and they're also having – they still have issues at cornerback for the third year in a row. So the 49ers are not in a good position at all. Yeah, I I, I agree there. Yeah, that's not, not a good situation. Did you have any more there, Chris? With the defenses? No, did you – yeah, did you have any more busts for us? Well, I think one defense that a lot of teams are reaching for, I know the Patriots defense went ahead of the Dolphins defense, and I love the Patriots. They are my team, but I don't think it's wise to draft their defense without some of the the guys they have there. Revis is gone. Brandon Browner is gone. And without those cornerbacks, this is not going to be the same defense. So we'll see what they do, but I, I feel very hesitant about drafting the Patriots defense right now. Yeah, I think I can agree with that too. I think just there's that uh, maybe not not unknown, kind of that unknowing respect just because they're the, the Super Bowl team. Not that they don't deserve respect, but yeah, there's just not maybe not the, a clear thought process in mind with selecting that defense. That's for sure. Well, Chris, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Um, again, awesome work, and I love what you guys do over there at Jeff Utopia. I mean, how often do I get up and just have a have a page on my Facebook where I can read about Russian hockey. I mean, that's awesome. That's totally awesome. And we, we appreciate you and thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me on. All right. Cool. Take care, Chris. All right. Awesome, awesome stuff there from Chris Ransom. Just a, a good friend and always a pleasure to have him on. Um, Dan Burgundy Hines is going to be joining us here in a few minutes as we talked about some of the things that he did this past Sunday. Um, and I actually forgot that I had a couple IDP guys as well. Um, I, I'm going to put Ndamukong and Sue on there just because I think he's probably the first defensive tackle off the board in a lot of, uh, a lot of IDP leagues that require him. And I just think, feel like he's going to be content now. Uh, he got Obviously, he got paid big time. And maybe that Miami lifestyle is just going to be a little too much for this immature former uh, Nebraska Cornhusker to handle. And maybe uh, too many Cuban sandwiches might slow him down, and then uh, Vernon and Wake are going to get the sacks. What do you think there about Sue there, Nick? Obviously, he's going to the same scheme, uh, but he's got a a loaded talent around him, and I feel like he makes this defense better. I just don't know if it's going to translate IDP-wise. Yeah, I could definitely see that being the case where he helps helps his teammates more than it helps his personal value, especially like you mentioned, he's probably going to be the top defensive tackle off the board. I would prefer a guy like uh, Aaron Donald in St. Louis over in the Dalton suit. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Uh, and just one more here. Uh, I got Rashard Johnson, free safety in Arizona. Free safeties are obviously not as valuable strong safeties in IDP, IDP leagues, but Rashad Johnson had a very good year last year, uh, but he's also got Dan Buchanan, Tony Jefferson, and Tyron Matthew on the same depth chart. Um, I'm not sure he's going to see 90% of the snaps like he did last year, and uh, with questions surrounding the front seven, it's, it's it's practical to think that Johnson won't see won't see the work that he needs to be a legit DB number one. 
he is a player at the top of his game, uh, but the ascent has to start somewhere. He's 29 years old. He's never had a season like he had in 2014. He's also never started, besides 2014, also never started more than nine games in any year prior. So where he was awesome last year, he made a lot of, uh, he made some key turnovers, had a couple of pick sixes that also looked at, made his value a little bit better. Looks at the points scored last year a little bit better. Uh, he is 29 years old, and like I said, he's never had a season like he had last year. Um, and obviously it was a kind of an all-hands-on-deck situation as they had injuries all over this defense, but uh, I just don't feel like he's going to be able to keep that up. And I know a lot of people are taking him as their first DB off the board. What do you think there, Chris? Or Nick? Uh, I agree with you. It's just such a crowded depth chart there at safety in Arizona, and I, I would prefer the younger players like Dan Buchanan or uh, Honey Badger probably over over Johnson. Yeah, and, and now that I actually looked into Johnson a little bit more, I feel like there's a lot of early mocks where I, I took him, too, as maybe my second DB. And I'm just like, eh, maybe that wasn't such a wise idea. You just saw what he did last year and didn't really look into the whole of his career. So make sure you make sure you really, really address that. you got to look at age and consistent career production, I think, when you're when you're selecting one of your top, top players. And I don't know if these are later in drafts, and you can certainly make up for it with that position, but you got to really look at the whole year, the whole season, or excuse me, the whole career and the consistency of what uh, what they've been able to do throughout their year. So Dan's going to join us here in a couple minutes. Um, obviously, we've had some key injuries, uh, including uh, Jordy Nelson, obviously. But what what are your uh, what are, what are any injuries out there that you're concerned about? And what on earth is going on with RG3? I, I haven't really read too much. I've just seen the headlines. So what do you got for us, Nick? Uh, well, we'll start out with a couple guys that are returning. Brian Quick and Todd Gurley are both practicing again in St. Louis. And uh, Ruben Randall is also practicing in New York. Uh, as far as guys that are hurt, or you look at uh, Orlando Scandrick blew out his knee for the Dallas Cowboys, so they're going to be hurting again at the corner position. Uh, Devontae Parker in Miami still can't cut on his injured foot, and uh, Brashad Perriman still hasn't practiced. He hasn't practiced since July in Baltimore, so it might be tough for those two rookies, especially right out the gates, to be productive. Uh, and then uh, some non-injury news. Uh, Monte Ball actually might not even be the running back number three in Denver. Jawan Thompson, I guess, is having a pretty good camp. So if you're looking for a handcuff for C.J. Anderson, Ronnie Hillman is definitely uh, looking like the way to go there. And as far as RG3, uh just a mess. I feel bad for the guy. Washington just killed his career. Uh, is he is is he going to stay on this team this whole year? I I don't know. Maybe they're just going to play him until the wheels come off. I I, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> is there? It's it's just such a mess with that team. It's tough to say what's going to happen one week to the next, let alone all season. Did I already ask you a month ago if you would trade RG3 for Cutler? Have we been down that road? <laughs> I can't remember. Um, yeah, I think I would probably take Cutler over RG3 right now. He just looks lost on the field. And his offensive line definitely isn't doing him any, any favors either. What's the least that you would take for, J- or for, for RG3? Let's say your skins are shopping him and somebody wants to give you something. What's the least that you would take? In fantasy or if I'm the Skins GM? If you're the Skins GM, we're getting a real life here. No longer oh. fantasy. 
<laughs> I, I don't know. I think at this point you'd be lucky to get a fifth round pick for him. <laughs> um, that's certainly more than you would get in fantasy form right now. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Um, like I said, Burgundy's be joining us in a couple minutes here, but, uh, yeah, the Scandrick thing is, it's, oh, that sucks. Cause he, you know, he's another guy that's been kind of more of a, a miss than an actual player up till these last couple of years. He's been very solid for that defense. And, uh, but now is the time to grab Byron Jones if he's available. I know some people might disagree with that, but, uh, you know, and he might not be on the field right away, but if you have a roster spot, if you have a taxi squad spot, get Byron Jones because it's obvious, it's becoming more and more obvious that they're going to need him. And I, I think if a lot of people had the chance to give him a chance or put Morris Claiborne back out there. I think a lot of people would certainly want to see what they have in Jones first before they trust in Claiborne week in, week out. So if he's available, grab him right now in your in your cornerback required leagues. Um, we have, like I said, Burgundy coming on to talk about a few trades. I'm just going to run down the trades here for you so we don't spend too much time on that one, Dan's on. So Sunday, uh, I get my trades from Bill, and most of them are from DFW48. All three of them are from DFW48. And then Sunday night, Burgundy starts wheeling and dealing. Um, he traded Doriel Green Beckham and Cody Latimer and the 2016 first-round pick for Sammy Watkins. Interesting uh, move there, but he's going to enlighten us on that, and I'm sure you guys are listening are already kind of forming your opinions on the matter, but Dan's going to talk a little bit more about that and why he did that. Um, David, the second trade, he moved David Cobb, Jordan Matthews, 2016 first, 2016 second for Antonio Brown, and the 2016 seventh. Obviously, the seventh's really not a not a huge deal, but Cobb, Matthews, first and second rounder for Antonio Brown. Seems like a lot, but uh, I know Dan's got kind of a, a loaded roster, so he's basically trading some potential for some uh some studs uh what while we're waiting for dan oh there he is hello they think i hired you because you're on my fantasy team you play defense for crying out loud i get a play in an idp league that's for suckers the only defensive clip I had. So, Dan, you come on to defend yourself about these crazy DFW 36 trades. Uh, <laughs> I just broke them down for everybody. So, why don't, why don't you talk about uh, DGB, Latimer, and a first-rounder for Watkins? Sure. Um, well, if you know my team, it's pretty stacked. Um, I had to come from multiple angles on this deal. Um, my issue is, is I'm really stacked with upside, but I'm not stacked with proven, you know, safe, more conservative production. I have a lot of possibilities, but no proven entities. And I guess ultimately cuts were coming up. I was going to need to make about six or seven cuts to a roster where I really only had one or two that I wanted to make. And so I've been scrounging left and right, trying to make two for one, three for one deals. But the reality is this, this league is just extremely savvy and it's very hard to find deals. 
Um, so the first thing I acknowledged is I'm going to have to, in theory, overpay to get some of the guys I want. And so who, who are the ones I want, ultimately? Um, I targeted Sammy mainly because I view him as an absolute elite talent. I would have him still at the number one spot, um, maybe behind Cooper. But uh, him and Cooper, uh, Amari Cooper, basically, I have ranked about the same. Um, yeah, he's in a tough spot in Baltimore, but, you know, things change very rapidly in the NFL. One thing that doesn't change is this guy's elite, elite talent. And while Dereal Green Beckham also has that elite talent, Sammy's is a much, much safer bet. Um, so I tried to take some pieces that I felt were limited and have far more question marks and move them. I had three first round picks next year, um, on a team that again is so loaded that I'm not even sure what I'm going to do with all those picks, you know, when I get them. So I looked at Lattimore. I like Lattimore as a short-term investment only. I don't see long-term value there. I got him as an extra throw-in on one of my uh, picks that I moved back from my 1.1. And uh, basically, I was looking at him as he's a guy that's going to blow up a couple games with Manning. He's still in the wide receiver three position, and he's stuck there for at least another year uh, with Sanders and Demarius Thomas still signed through next year at least. I'm not exactly how long. if Sanders has another year after that. But then he's also tied to Manning. And so not only is he regulated to that third wide receiver role, but he's also tied to an aging Peyton Manning with a lot of question marks. So I believe his upside is fairly limited, even though I do think he's going to have some really nice games. So my plan with Latimer was always to sell. It was just during the season after he had a few bigger games and there are a couple believers out there. Dario Green Beckham has been away from the game for two years. He's got plenty of question marks. I like him a lot. He was by far the hardest part of that deal to give up. Um, and the first round pick is projected mid to late next year. So ultimately, I served a few things. I got rid of a few guys with more question marks than Sammy. I got the guy that I wanted, who I view as an you know an elite talent. And I was able to do a two-for-one deal and cut a little roster space in order to make my life a little easier. Okay. Well, this is after the Jordy Nelson injury. And I really right. saw, when I saw the trade come through, I was like, well, he finally, he found somebody to, to bite on Adams. And that was not the, not the case. Um, but well, I and what, I also, you know, I also have Adams on my roster and that was an influencing factor. You know, all now all of a sudden I have Adams as my wide receiver five, who's looking more like a wide receiver two at the number two in Green Bay's offense. And now I'm starting, you know, Elshon Jeffrey, Sammy Watkins, Amari Cooper, and Devontae Adams, and which is what led me to do the second deal, which I was, you know, working on simultaneously. And I was only going to do the Sammy deal if I was able to make the first deal happen, uh, the uh, the next deal we're going to talk about happen. Uh, so I was working both, and I had to get a strong verbal commitment on this next deal before I was willing to overpay, in my opinion, overpay a little bit based on projected values for Sammy Watkins. Yeah. And I think you also kind of have to look at it from the perspective is, you know, if people are going to think that you, you know, 
you got, you know, taken on this deal. I mean, we know better than that. But uh, I feel like there's also some some instances where, you know, like let's say like the next deal where you hit where you got Antonio Brown. If I'm sitting in Antonio Brown and I got nothing else and I can get a couple more pieces to uh, to, to strengthen Absolutely. my team to maybe help me next year, you got you got to sacrifice that top talent when you're going to get top dollar. I mean, let's say I mean I'm you know I'm not wishing it off, but let's say Antonio Brown gets injured, you know what I mean, and you you dodge that bullet and then you would get far less for him if he was injured than you would than you would right now when he's you know ready to hit the ground running. Nick, any thoughts right. there in this trade? Um, I think it definitely makes a lot more sense now that I uh, hear from you, Dan, that your uh, roster was loaded and you were going to have to cut six or seven players and only cut one or two. Then the makes so said, but Sammy Watkins, he's no slouch. You know, he kind of got lost in the shuffle amongst rookie receivers last year, but he had almost a thousand yards. So I definitely, yeah. I definitely see where you're coming from on this trade. Yeah, I mean this guy. If you have if you have Ben Roethlisberger as this guy's quarterback, he puts up fourteen hundred yards last year as a rookie. I mean, he only needs a competent quarterback, just a competent quarterback. So you put him in Carolina with Cam Newton, you know. I mean, even someone like that, and you're talking about a bona fide wide receiver. One, I'm banking on him taking a step forward. He's got more weapons in Buffalo. Um, you know, they're going to really heavily target him. I don't expect a huge step forward. I expect him to break a 1,000 yards. I'm hoping he'll push maybe 1,200, something like that. He's still not going to have his breakout season due to his quarterback. But that changes so fast. And they, you know, and who knows? Maybe Tyrod, you know, Taylor is exactly what Sammy Watkins needs. And maybe he does become, you know, that anything possible. But with his talent level, it's just a matter of time. And... I was able to stay young in the process. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of NFL players out there that you could say, well, you know, if this guy had more talent around, he would have been he would have been so much better. You see, you see, NFL teams play to their strengths, and they're going to get the most out of what they have, even if it's even if it doesn't go, you know, through the quarterback first or whatever, or they have some issues there. So, yeah. uh, so the second trade, um, we had David Cobb, Jordan Matthews first and second round pick uh, for Antonio Brown and a, and a seventh round pick. I'm sure that seventh round pick was a good sticking point there for you, Dan. That was pure ego. I just needed something. Um, I knew I, 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 I knew I was over. <laughs> I knew I was over paying for Brown. You know, not by a lot. It's Antonio Brown. How often do you get arguably the number one player in the league? You know, I mean, you're going to have to overpay for a guy like that. Um, mm. I also have Nelson Aguilar, you know, and based on what I've seen the first couple preseason games, I have to admit I'm pretty damn impressed. And I looked at that. I found a guy who liked Jordan Matthews significantly more um, than Nelson Aguilar, and I have them extremely close. I think they're both going to be very, very productive wide receivers in that offense, and I think they're going to put up very, very similar numbers. And so for me, it was finding an owner who valued Jordan Matthews way more than I did, and uh, it was a way for me to cut players again. The hard part was giving up David Cobb because the weak part of my team is my running backs. I think I own just about every rookie running back in this draft class on my team. But David Cobb is one, except for the, you know, Gurley and Gordon, but all the mid-round, you know, rookie running backs, 
and he wanted David Johnson or uh, David Cobb. That was basically my the hardest decision I had to make in that deal. I knew I was going to make a deal because now I'm rolling out Antonio Brown, Elshon Jeffrey, Sammy Watkins, Amari Cooper, and Devontae Adams, and I'm putting and I literally get to start all five of those guys every single week. That's an enormous advantage over the league. That is a wide receiver core that very few are going to be able to compete with. And rightfully so, because I'm going to have to make it up because my my running backs are a little unproven. So it came down to what I believe is David Cobb being having a more direct route to a traditional lead back, you know, role in Tennessee and maybe more immediate production versus David Johnson, who I view as the more dynamic talent. And if I'm looking at upside here, I'm looking at, you know, maybe a slightly more versatile Alfred Morris versus potentially Matt Forte. And so it was hard for me to let go of either. I liked them both, but ultimately I landed on, you know, I I wasn't building this team to win a championship immediately. I'm doing this a little differently. I think I'll be extremely competitive this year. I'm not sure I'll be a true, true contender, but my real mark will be next year. And so thinking about it that way, I tried to, you know, I tried to have a little discipline and stick with the talent versus the situation in that. Um, the first, I had it to burn. The second, you know, I just, I had to get it done for Antonio Brown. Now he's on my roster. My core is set. I got, you know, I got studs after that. You know, I mean, Nelson Aguilar aren't, isn't even going to make my starting lineup. Um, and that's five deep. So, you know, it was... uh it was one of those things you just had to do to get the best player in the football on your team. Yeah, any thoughts there, Nick? Well, again, that's why it's so great having you on, Dan, to explain the situation in that league. You know, the fact that you're able to start five wide receivers definitely makes this trade make more sense to me. Uh, originally, I looked at both of these trades as uh, you overpaying, but you did such a good job defending it. But, yeah, I think that this is definitely works out well for your team. You look at Antonio Brown, almost 1,700 yards last year and 13 scores. So if there's anybody you're going to want to overpay for, it, it would be Antonio Brown. Well, and I was able to make two really, uh, wait, two or three cuts without having to make them. And that was the part that I was, you know, that kind of balanced everything out for me at the end of the day because it allowed me to keep, I think I have five tight ends on that team right now. I have Julius Thomas, um, and I believe I have uh, ASJ, Richard Rogers. And then a couple sleepers that I absolutely love that were probably both going to be cuts that can now both probably be on my team is uh, Tyler Croft and Michael Pruitt, you know, who, Josh, I know you love as much as I do. Um, so, you know, at this point, it would probably be Tyler Croft just because Eifert's looking pretty good here so far if he can stay healthy. Um, but you know, it allowed me to have a little more flexibility in areas that I'm not as deep and not as solid and uh, keep a few more players that I wouldn't have been able to. Oh. Yeah, and like you said, you're certainly moving young, unpro- some unproven talent and getting and getting studs in return. And nobody's going nobody's gonna to fault you there by any means. So, yeah, uh, obviously always an enormous pleasure when we when we get to talk to you dan and uh whether you're defending thanks, yourself gentlemen. or just uh, just just having fun uh, it's always good to have you on thanks <laughs> for stopping by bud. 
Thanks, guys. Talk to you later. Yep, take care. All right, it is Dynasty Depth Charger time. This is something that we've been doing recently where uh, we uh, just kind of look in the depth charts and just talk about a guy that we see rising and potentially, you know, helping you out uh, this year. So we're digging a little deep just for you. What do you got for us, Nick? Well, first off, if Todd Taylor is still out there in your league, I think he's definitely worth an ad. They say he's the fastest quarterback in the NFL. you got to love that high floor of the quarterbacks that can run for 50 or so yards a game. But there's been a lot of hype around him the last couple of weeks. So, you know, to go a little bit deeper, I actually like Brian Hoyer's chances to put up decent numbers in Houston this year. Now, I know Hoyer didn't set the world on fire last year in Cleveland, only 12 touchdowns against 13 interceptions. But just look at his wide receiver core. Andrew Hawkins, who would be a pretty good wide receiver three, was forced to be the is wide receiver one, followed by Miles Austin and Taylor Gabriel. Yikes, I don't know if any quarterback not named Manning or Brady could have put up numbers with that group. So now in Houston, Hoyer gets to work with a stud receiver in DeAndre Hopkins, plus a few other weapons like Cecil Schwartz, who put up 500 and 900 yards each of his last three years in Jacksonville, and the veteran Nate Washington, both of whom I think could have been a wide receiver one or two in Cleveland last year. Plus, he's got the rookie Jalen Strong. And you throw in the fact that Arian Foster is going to miss the first half of the season and the Hoyer's familiarity with the offense from his time in New England with head coach Bill O'Brien, and I could easily see a top 20 season for Hoyer, which would make him roster-worthy in nearly all formats. What do you think of uh, Hoyer this year, Josh? Yeah, you bring up a great point. This uh, Bill O'Brien knows him. He was there as an un- – he was in New England when Hoyer was brought in as an undrafted rookie. Not only that, Hoyer knows the system. So it's not like this this totally new experiment. Um, he – you know, he seemed to – catch a lot of slack in Cleveland, but he also, you know, like Nick said, didn't have a whole lot to work with. Um, I I feel like he's one of those quarterbacks where he could potentially have, you know, like a year like Alex Smith had last year. He doesn't, he's not a guy that loses you a lot of games. Yeah, he's made mistakes. Well, quarterbacks are going to throw interceptions. That's inevitable, but I feel like he, he certainly is going to love uh, having DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, I don't know what quarterback wouldn't. And uh, like you said, some other talent to sprinkle in there. And I feel like with DeAndre on the other side, if when Strong gets his chance to get out there and make some plays, they're, they're certainly uh, he's certainly going to see single coverage because you just have an absolute beast and, and Hopkins on the other side. So uh, you don't need to know, know how I feel about DeAndre Hopkins anymore so uh let's get to the best number 25 in nfl history uh some good current names in uh uh jamal charles richard sherman and of course LaShawn mccoy uh you fantasy nerds don't need to hear a whole lot about those guys uh but i also like to bring up mr uh one of the guys from raider lore mr stickham uh fred belitnikoff uh nfl pro hall excuse me, a pro football hall of famer and just a, just a true warrior. You might look at the numbers and be like, Oh, why is he in the hall of fame? But just, just know that he went, he went to battle each and every play. And there's a reason he's in the hall of fame. What do you got for us on best number 25 there, Nick? Well, you already mentioned uh, most of them. You know, start with the trio of active players. LaShawn McCoy has been to three Pro Bowls in his 60s. And uh, 2011 league leading 17 rushing touchdowns. And then he led the league in rushing yards in 2013 with 1,600 yards. Uh, Jamal Charles, 
Jamal Charles never led the league in rushing, but a four-time Pro Bowler, and you could argue that no other non-quarterback has been more important to his team's offense over the last few years than Jamal Charles. Uh, and love Richard Sherman or hate him, you can't deny he's one of the best corners in the NFL right now, a three-time All-Pro in his four seasons. Uh, our next number 25 only had 21 picks over a 73-game career, never went to a Pro Bowl, but I just couldn't leave a name like Don Shula off the list. He was one of the greatest head coaches of all time. Uh, and then you have Jerry Gray. He went to four straight Pro Bowls with the Rams as a corner in the late 80s. And, you know, really, other than uh, those guys, it's a pretty short list. I could have filled it up with lesser players like Charlie Gardner, who went to a Pro Bowl and had two 1,000-yard seasons. But, you know, I mean, come on. It's hands down got to be Fred Bullitt at the top. Uh, played his whole 14-year career in Oakland. Six-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro. Super Bowl eleven MVP, and he's also the first ever All-American from Florida State. I don't know if you knew that as a Seminoles fan there, Josh, but uh, 10 straight years with 40 or more receptions. This guy was an all-time great, but easily the best number 25 of all time. Uh, yeah, there's a few more Hall of Famers that I'd like to get at. Uh, Jack Butler, uh, a cornerback for the Steelers in the 50s. Um, Tommy McDonald is a wide receiver from 57 to 68. Uh, 5'9", 176 pounds. Um, again, with these older guys, you don't you don't see the Hall of Fame translation when you look at the stats. But uh, uh, certainly a, a well-respected guy around NFL circles during his playing career. Um, Walter Kisling was a guard and a coach. Uh, coached, excuse me, played for a lot of teams in the 30s and then coached in the 40s as well. So uh, a, a name that not a lot, a lot of people are familiar with, but uh, certainly a Hall of Famer in, in his own right. Uh, Frank Bruiser Kennard was a tackle uh, from 38 to 44 with the Brooklyn Tigers slash Dodgers and the New York Yankees from 46 to 47. That's right, New York Yankees football team. Um, and then I know we probably talked about him earlier, uh, but it, it's 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 always fun worth mentioning uh, uh, Norm Van Brocklin, who apparently wore 25 at some point in his career. Uh, he was also wore number 11 when he played for the uh, Eagles, uh, but he's he's on the plaque as a number 25 as well. Uh, his record still stands till this day through 554 yards in a game, uh, which is crazy considering what one guy's 400s nowadays all the time. It seems like that record should have fallen, but uh, it's a pretty in- impressive record that stood for quite uh, quite some time. Uh, next week we have uh, best number 26, so not a not a whole lot of names there again, but uh, well, I'm sure we'll find a few a few gems there for you. Uh, it is dynasty dilemma time, um, so let's uh, let's get into it, Nick. Um, this week we did something a little bit different as we told. As I chose a player from Nick's team, and he chose a player from my team. Uh, so we have Alfred Morris versus Latavius Murray. Um, and next week, uh, and I and I want to preface this, Nick, by I'm totally okay with who you want to select. Um, but next week, we're going to do Ladarius Green versus Eric Ebron. And I know I'm a huge Ebron fan, but I got no problem working against him if you want to take Ebron. So you, you just tell you think about it and tell me who you want. But uh do a little tight end action next week. But let's uh let's play the clip and get to uh, Alfred Morris versus Latavius Murray. Nothing else but confrontation. 
Okay, Latavius Murray versus Alfred Morris. I took Morris. Um, and I think one thing to think about when you think about Morris is, you know, people are writing him off. Matt Jones is there now or whatnot. But his career is not done by any means. He's only been in the league for for three years. His career is not done. So just 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 remember that. He might this might be his last year in Washington, but his I don't feel like he's one of those guys that's just going to fade away. So um I still maintain Alfred Morris deserved to win uh rookie of the year the year that RG not R G three. Um after all, wasn't it the threat of Morris that kept the running lanes open for R G three to wiggle for yardage as a rookie? Uh, Murray is a big, powerful runner who is yet who is yet to establish himself as a full-fledged RB1 on his own team. I mean, Lord Almighty, the Oakland brought in Trent Richardson, Roy Hallou, Michael Dyer, Gus Johnson, who's since been cut, George Atkinson back, and converted cornerback Taiwan Jones back to running back. Is that just stockpiling, or did they really need seven extra bodies to replace Darren McFadden and uh, MJD this year? I know the Skins brought in Matt Jones to be the heir apparent once Alfred Morris is let loose, but Morris is an established runner. It's pretty hard to argue against three straight thousand-yard seasons, especially considering how bad Washington was over those last couple of years. Nick, what do you got for us on Latavius Murray? Well, I think in PPR leagues, it's not even close. Latavius Murray is in very limited action last year, had just as many catches as Morris. So as a starter, he would far surpass Morris's work in the passing game. But I would take Murray in standard leagues as well. You know, as a Skins fan, I love Alfred Morris, but I'd be worried for a number of reasons. First, he may only be 26, but those legs have a lot of miles on them. He's had between 265 and 335 carries every year in the NFL. Plus, he had over 450 carries in his final two years at Florida Atlantic. And his yards per carry have gone down every year. 4.8 yards per rush as a rookie, down to 4.6, and then only 4.1 last year. Well, Murray, has, is, he's fresh, even going back to his days at UCF. Never had a 200-carry season. Uh, next, Morris is in his final year of the rookie contract, and the team drafted Matt Jones in round three. They should look to see if Jones can handle a full workload, especially if the team is no longer in contention come December, you know, your fantasy playoff time. Whereas Murray, I think, is the guy the Raiders want to see succeed. There's no younger promising back waiting for their turn behind him. You know, Roy Hill is the number two. He's kind of older for a running back. Trent Richardson's garbage. Uh, you know, and then in Washington, uh, Jones, I think, can vulture, vulture some touchdowns away. Plus, he gets, uh, you got the fullback, Daryl Young. He's still there. He's had nine touchdowns over the last two years. But the biggest reason I worry about Morris is that to run the ball, you must be in close games or ahead. And Washington's poor defense, bad offensive line, and comically ugly quarterback play could lead to an even worse year than the four wins season they had last year. The Raiders, on the other hand, I think should be an up-and-coming team. And even if not, Murray can still contribute to catching balls when the team is behind. So while Morris has all these question marks, I think the only concern about uh, Murray is his small but oh-so-electric sample size. So as much as it pains me to say, I will take Latavius Murray over Alfred Morris. Well, the only rebuttal I would have there, Nick, is don't you think, and I'm sorry about my dogs there, by the way, don't you think we would have seen, I mean, obviously we've seen a drop in production with Washington being bad over those last couple of years as opposed to what he did his rookie year, but do you really think it's going to drop off that much again? I mean, are they going to be that that much worse? I hate to rag on your team, but I mean, do you, you, think, you don't you think he can get 1,000 yards this year? 
Well, you look at his rushing totals. He had 1,600 yards as a rookie, down to 1,200 his second year, and uh, 1,074 last year. So if that trend continues, yeah, he will fail to get 1,000 yards. Ah, uh, but he's also a very good dancer, and I love his touchdown celebration. I forgot to add that into my Morris thing, so he kind of does the the home run swing there. So uh, you'll know what I mean later when you see the write-up for this podcast, everybody. Yeah, check that out. Uh, so, yeah, that's good stuff. A um, couple different paths there, but I I, met, I meant to check the age because Latavius Murray was not a rookie last year. He, this is at least his second year, so they – they might actually be close in age, so that might not be a, a that might be another contributing factor there for Morris. But I just don't think Morris is going to fade away. I think he could potentially go somewhere else and be a very productive runner. Uh, you know, is he is he going to be one of the top twenty running backs of all time? Is he going to be one of those guys that gets you know over twelve thousand yards? I I don't know, but I certainly wouldn't bet against him because I. I think what he's been able to do, and again, it's not to rag on a team, but just considering what this team has been like over the last couple of years, I feel like that's that's something that I I, I, I treat with a lot of respect, and I think he could go somewhere else and, and be a productive runner there as well. So not too many running backs can go somewhere else and do that, and I think I think he's got that in him. So uh, now we get to. Uh, a little something that we'd like to call Nick Rant. It's where I give my co-host the floor to just kind of rant about something that's uh, bothering him. It's uh, sometimes controversial. And uh, sometimes he likes to call out a few shots, call out shots, call out shots fired. He likes to do shots fired to get some famous people around the NFL. Um, So I don't think he's got any of those this week. What he's got for us as we do uh, something that I can call Nick Rand. What is my favorite moment? There's been a lot of controversy over a play in the Eagles Ravens recent preseason matchup. Was the hit by Terrell Suggs on Sam Bradford legal? Did Chip really run a read option play with an injury-prone quarterback like Sam Bradford? The answer to both questions is yes, but I think the real question that should be asked is, should read options be allowed at the NFL level? Now, I want to first say that I've been opposed to a lot of the quote-unquote wussification of the game. For example, I think if a quarterback's dumb enough to hang his receiver out to dry across the middle, the safety lurking should still be able to separate the receiver from the ball. That's the way the game's always been played. But the read option has only been around the NFL for a few years now, and in this day and age of promoting player safety and, above all, keeping quarterbacks out of harm's way, it seems like a no-brainer to me to outlaw this play. Let's not fool ourselves. Coaches and teams do not have the player's best interest at heart. They're trying to win games by any means necessary to save their own hide. Just look at Washington continuing to play Robert Griffin on one leg in the playoffs a couple of years ago. And the fact that the teams are now required to have independent observers on the sidelines to diagnose concussions proves that sometimes players need to be protected from their teams and coaches' decisions. You know, I'd like to hope that the NFL would be proactive instead of reactive in banning the read option, but unfortunately I think it'll probably take a catastrophic injury to an established star like Cam Newton or Russell Wilson before we see this play phased out of the game at the NFL level. Any thoughts on that, Josh? Well, I'm just wondering if there's ever been a a history of them actually, you know, making something illegal like this. I mean... I'm assuming if an NFL team wanted to line, uh, uh, line up in the wishbone, and I think 
the T-ball Broncos all but did that. I think they would let him do that. I just don't know. It'd be really an interesting thing to see if this actually came to that. Now, as far as the hit goes, I, I don't know if it was dirty. I heard about it before I actually saw the video. And I, I what I what I read about it and what people were tweeting about, I basically thought that, you know, Suggs recreated the scene where they, in the first Karate Kid where they where they take a take out Danielson's leg. I mean, I thought it was just going to be the most brutal thing <laughs> I ever saw, and I and I saw it, and I'm just like, I don't know. I mean, sure, Suggs could have maybe pulled off a little bit, but I just don't think there was intent to harm. And if you know, anytime an injury prone quarterback takes a big hit, whether it's legal or not, it's gonna this is gonna come up. So I mean. Just get used to it, Philadelphia fans. He's there. He's your quarterback. And I'm not saying people are going to go out there gunning for him, but I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I don't think it was necessarily a dirty hit. Could it, could it have gone differently? Could have sucked, you know, maybe not go full bore? Yeah, but this is the NFL. Preseason or not, he, he wants to make a statement. And he wants to show those young players how it's done. That's what he's going to do. He didn't, you know, karate chop him or didn't just, you know, put his helmet into his knee. So I, I'll, I'll disagree with that just a little bit there. As far as banning the read option, I, that it would be an interesting move and see what it would take for them to come, what it would take for them to come to a decision like that. So a uh, good rant is always there, Nick. We've got some dynasty trade analysis here to end, end you with. Uh, I do want to mention uh, next week we got Mike Krasick stopping by. As we do uh, a little bit of a sleeper show this week, we did uh, bust. Next week we're going to do sleepers. That should be uh, good. And I also have at least one person stopping by to talk about a camp battle. I'm hoping to have another another couple of people, but I know I have uh, Aaron Freeman from Felt Fan stopping by as we're going to talk a little. Uh, Kevin Coleman, Devontae Freeman, as we get closer to the season to see what we can. Ch- shed some light on that matter and i have hopefully another camp battle a guy coming on for you too but dirty mike Kraft is going to come on as well so make sure you check that out uh first trade we have brichard perryman uh and for theo riddick and uh a 2016 first round pick what are your thoughts there nick I think it's a pretty even trade. Uh, you know, you look at Perriman, he's injured right now. Um, who knows how he'll be coming out the gate, missing all his time in training camp. So it probably costs you a first, late first-round pick to get him this year. So you're getting a first-round in return plus a flyer on a running back deal. Riddick, I'm not high on Riddick per, per se. I think that Detroit uh, backfield's pretty crowded, but you never know how it's going to work out. So, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty fair in both ways. Yeah, Riddick's obviously just a throw-in. I would – I would maybe assume that this person has Abdullah and Bell or, you know, both or whatever. So, um, Perryman for first round pick, that's pretty fair. I mean, that's kind of where Perryman went last year. And, you know, the, obviously the owners may be a little frustrated with the injury thing. And if he can slip him for a first round pick, because the kid does have a lot of talent. I think when he gets out there, he's going to, he's going to be an effective player, but, uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's a pretty fair trade. Next trade here, this is, and I already know what Nick's gonna say, uh, but uh, it's, it's a big one here. Derek Carr, Kamar Aiken, Kendall Wright, two fourth round picks, uh, all that for Sam Bradford. <laughs> what do you think, Nick? <laughs> I mean, yeah, 
Sam Bradford's got a really high ceiling playing in that Philadelphia offense, but that's way too much for me to give up for an injury-prone quarterback. I personally like Derek Carr's future prospects, and even Kendall Wright. You know, I know he only had 700 yards last year, but I think with Marcus Mariota, the quarterback play is going to be improved there in Tennessee. I could just see him being closer to the 1,079 yards he had in 2013 than the 700 he had last year. So, yeah, if you can get all that for Sam Bradford, <laughs> more power to you. Yeah, and I don't by any means don't think Derek Carr is going to, you know, take the Raiders deep in the playoffs so they're going to be, you know, like a 10-win team this year. Uh, but I think he's going to be better. He's going to be better and you look at ADP, I know Carr's going over Bradford in a lot of drafts just because of the the injury history and this is a dynasty league. So I it's 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 a risk uh and and it could pay off. I just don't know about uh, the long-term effects. And maybe this guy's stockpiling picks and just throwing those on there to, to make it look even better or put it over the top. And I've certainly tried to attempt that myself and got away with it here and there. So, you know, the picks aren't necessarily anything. They're two fourth-round picks. But, you know, basically Carr versus Bradford, that's, that's kind of a flip of the coin for me. If, if you think you're ready to win now and you're really need to risk it all with Bradford, go for it. But giving up on a guy like Carr, you know, I, I I don't necessarily understand it, but I I guess I mean I guess I do understand it, but I don't think I would do it for the for the player you're getting back in return. So, uh, D'Angelo Williams and Antonio Brown, another Antonio Brown trade for Ronnie Hillman, Jonathan Stewart, Martavius Bryant, 2016 second round pick. What are your thoughts there, Nick? Uh, I think uh, Dan probably looks at this trade and is like, what? I had to give up Jordan Matthews, David Cobb, a first and a second, and <laughs> to get Antonio Brown, all this guy had to give up was Ronnie Hillman, John Stewart, Martavius Bryant. I mean, Martavis Bryant, he could have a good future, but he's not proven. He only had 550 yards last year. So, And John Stewart, he breaks down every single year. Ronnie Hillman's pretty much just a handcuff right now to C.J. Anderson. So, yeah, I think this is a steal getting Antonio Brown for that. Yeah, I I agree there. Um, I I still maintain Martavius Bryant has a very bright future, but you're getting an absolute stud in Antonio Brown. And speaking of Dan, I forgot to ask him when he was going to send me a first round pick in that league. I just I, I I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that. Maybe I just don't have a good. So. Um, now you don't even want to hear my top five receivers compared to his. That's for sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's that's a good that's a good haul. Um. If you need running backs, I guess, you know, Stewart and Hillman aren't, aren't, aren't bad guys to add, but you're giving up a lot there in Antonio Brown. And I, I hope it works out for both parties. But, yeah, that seems like a seems like a nice grab. Now, speaking of Antonio Brown, didn't you make a trade for Antonio Brown recently there too, Nick? Uh, I did. I picked up Antonio Brown and a third-round pick, and in exchange I gave away uh, A.J. Green and a first-round pick from next year. So I, I, I think I got a pretty good deal there. What do you think? Yeah, I mean that's uh, you know that could that deal could maybe happen if it's just a player player there. Uh, but I think I think you're obviously not going to excuse me. You're obviously not going to get a player NFL ready this year or next year, or obviously a NFL ready next year with that first round pick. Quite like Antonio Brown, and even Antonio Brown took him a couple years to get acclimated. So I I think that's a pretty fair deal, and and you got a pick in return too. So it's not like you're totally you're totally out there for the top those top three rounds. So you got a couple third round picks, which is very easily can be shifted if you want to move up to the second round and get a player that you really like. 
you know, kind of a, a, an upside running back next year in those rookie drafts. So, um, one other thing I just wanted to talk about before we before we got off the air here. Did you hear about this whole Antonio? Excuse me, D'Angelo Hall, uh, DeAndre Hopkins back and forth, Nick. You heard anything about that? Um, briefly, yeah. You want to fill me in on the specifics there? Well. I heard about it yesterday, and I actually didn't know about it, but I'm a little behind, and I watched the first episode of Hard Knocks this morning. Of course, that's on the Houston Texans, and they spent three days practicing with the Redskins, and there's there's a quite the word exchange between DeAndre and D'Angelo, and I think it it culminated with uh, with some tweets yesterday, and uh, or maybe not yesterday, but some tweets. Some tweets you hear over the last couple of weeks. Basically, D'Angelo Hall saying it's a lot, lot, it's a lot, a lot of mouth coming from a guy whose career highlight is a ten-yard, ten-yard catch, um, and uh, nuke, nuke the bomb, or should, should I say, DeAndre responded by saying, "I hope treatment is going okay." Obviously, during that uh, practice, uh, DeAndre Hopkins basically uh, juked uh, Hall out, and I think he twisted something and went down. I'm not sure what his injury status is right now, but uh, interesting there is there, John. John, if you haven't seen that Hard Knocks, it's uh, pretty good stuff. It's a, it's a good show. It's a little, uh, little uh, what should I say? Uh, it's not graphic. It's a little, a uh, lot of bad language, I should say. There's a lot of bad language as you could imagine in that NFL show, but uh, uh, just, just check out a story on that if you haven't heard that. It's just a, uh, just a kind of a fun back and forth between a an NFL wide receiver and cornerback. So, uh, any closing thoughts there, Nick? Uh, well, I Jordan Reed says that he's 100% healthy, but that was yesterday, so that might be kind of dated news, knowing his history. <laughs> uh, yes, the good news for Jordan Reed owners is not good news for Niles Paul, unfortunately, but he is uh, Niles Paul's all 50 years, so. Clear a path for Jordan Reed, uh, but uh, don't don't draft him until at least the 10th round, I would say, for you redrafters. Uh, I have a redraft league coming up here on Friday. I'm sure I'll break all that down uh, next week. My keeper, uh, just as a one, we have one keeper, and the rest of it is obviously redraft. My keeper is Jeremy Hill in the eighth round, who I'm pretty pretty happy about. For some reason, I thought I drafted him in the sixth round, uh, but no, I drafted Kyle Rudolph in the sixth round, so. I drafted Bishop Sankey in the fifth round, but uh, I had one good pick last year, and that was uh, uh, Jeremy Hill. It's kind of a kind of a friends league, so it's it's not a, an expert league by any means, but it's always fun to uh, to win this league and to to finish finish strong. I'm trying to take down our buddy Kevin, who's won the last two years. He's already talking talking three peat, so uh, I, I need to take him down, which is going to be fun since I got him in my division this year. So. Uh, like I said, I'm sure I'll break down more of that and see uh, how that goes. So I'll look forward to talking to you next week. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Nick, and have a good one. You too, Josh. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Bowl Podcast with Nick, Gail, T.R.S.K. and Joshua Johnson. Bye,
You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game.